Hey everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. If you haven't already, please be sure to check out our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes and also sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content and also stay up to date on upcoming guests. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit that subscribe button. You can also find us on any streaming platform. So if streaming is your thing, just head over to your favorite, search Country Music Made Me and give us a follow there as well. On today's episode, we are excited to welcome Parker McCollum. Now, Parker's dreams of success in country music began as a young child and his musical journey really got going in his early 20s in Austin, Texas. He found success within the Texas music scene quite early and everything changed in 2019 with the release of his single, Pretty Heart. Since that time, he has signed with Universal Music. He has had two number one songs. He has been named the ACM New Male Artist of the Year and he played his dream venue at the Houston Rodeo. It's been an amazing journey, so please enjoy our conversation with Parker McCollum. How's your day going? Man, it's going good. I'm about to go play golf with my brother, so beautiful day here in Austin, Texas. Nice. What's the course out there that you play? Uh, we put My dad lives in Barton Creek, so um, you can play Crenshaw or Foothills or Fazio Canyon, so three really good courses. Nice. So is that something you try and do when you're out on the road? I golfed. We golfed so much last summer on the road that we had to stop because it was, we were so focused on golfing and not focused on our show every night. So, (laughs) and so what's the nicest course you've played so far then? Probably a lotion in Little Rock. Super, super exclusive. Um, Impossible to get on. I have a great hookup. That's one in a billion to get. It's, they call it mini Augusta. Oh, okay. Billionaire guy named Warren, Warren Stevens uh, couldn't get on Augusta, so he built a lotion in the mountains outside of Little Rock. And uh, he actually bought every mountaintop that you can see so that he never had to see a house while playing the golf course. Really? Wow. Yeah. The most phenomenal. Like, it's the first time in my life, truly, no exaggeration, that when I walked in the clubhouse, I did not feel good enough to – I didn't feel – like I belonged. Right. Yeah. I was like, this is, this is some, ser- this is some serious stuff right here. And of course, you have caddies, you know, and you're caddying for you the whole time as young guys, they were all fans of mine and they were really, really nice. But, um, I played really, really bad. That <laughs> That's what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you how that game went. I played really bad and, and I'm not a great golfer, but I can get it going a little bit. You know, I'm kind of the black sheep, of my family, all the guys are scratch golfers and I'm the only one that's really not. Oh, okay. But I, but that's, that's probably the worst I've ever played since I really started trying to play and Poor caddies, man, they are chasing my ball all over this. And it's, a, it's in the mountains, so it's hilly and they're, right. At the end of the thing, they're like they're they're really nice. They're like, man, it's it's an honor to caddy for you know. They're really cool about it. But I tipped them a a, a great deal. Uh, a quite. I was like, man, I I just want you guys to know, I really appreciate you guys. I mean, there was one hole. The front of the green is a huge slope. Um. So if you're not long on your you know second shot, you're rolling off the front. You're rolling back. The ball is coming back to you every time. Right. And I'm hitting my sixty degree wedge. And I just – it's kind of muddy. You know how hard it is to chip out of the mud? Yeah, so definitely. I just couldn't, 
hit enough distance on it. It was going really high and really short and just chunking mud. And I think I hit that same shot four times before I finally, he finally, he was like, dude, just, mud. <laughs> I was like, all right. It was, that was, that was, it was, it's funny now, but that was not happy about it that day. Yeah, I bet. That's hilarious. And your March, have you come, I don't know, come down or came to the realization of what this month has meant for you? Have you processed it yet at all? Um, you know, I don't know, man. I stay pretty even keel all the time. Um, when I was on stage at the Houston Rodeo, uh, I was certainly, it was extremely overwhelming, uh, just emotionally. Uh, I worked very hard to play that, that stadium. Uh, it's really kind of the only thing that I ever really, truly was like, that's something I, 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 I would sell you know, everything I have to do it. Um, and, uh, but other than that, man, I stay, you know, I'm really, really grateful. I'm fully aware of how incredibly lucky and blessed I am to get to chase a dream and and actually catch a little bit of it. Um, but man, it's, uh, I don't know, never too high, never too low, always act like you've been there. So, uh, incredible month. Um, easily the best month I've ever had in my entire life. Um, but man, just enjoy it and right back to work. Right. Yeah. And now I've had the opportunity to talk to Wade Bowen and uh, Randy Rogers, and I didn't necessarily notice the disconnect between the Texas music scene and Nashville. I never really put two and two together, but as I was researching you, I really felt that is there a solid line there? Is it difficult to cross that line from Texas to Nashville? Uh, you know, I think uh, most people would agree when you show up in Nashville and you're from Texas, they kind of roll their eyes a little bit, you know, a little bit of, uh, oh, just another guy from Texas. Um, right. And so I noticed, I heard that kind of chatter a little bit. I noticed the looks and stuff like that when I first got into town, but um, it never really bothered me, man. I never really cared. Um, my whole goal from the very beginning um, was to sign a major record deal and sell out arenas um, and be on the biggest stages in country music. Um, there was never a part of me that didn't want that. Um, you know, if it wasn't for Texas and Texas music, I never would have gotten a shot to go win an ACM award or sell out to the Houston rodeo or have number ones on country radio. Um, that all started with Texas and they're, and they, they, every time we come back to the state, I mean, we sold 73,000 tickets at the rodeo. We sold 21,000 tickets in Dallas, um, setting records in these places. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm Texas to the bone, uh, no question. Um, but I just, I noticed that they didn't let a lot of guys cross that line. A lot of guys had trouble crossing that line. They don't let a lot of Texas guys on that really know Texas guys unless other than George Strait, which he doesn't really count in this equation. He's the king. Right. Yeah. Let a lot of those Texas guys on those award shows. Um, so to win and to get to perform was kind of a win, I think, for everybody in Texas music. Um, just to kind of, you know, like, hey, we're here and you can't ignore us anymore. So, um, yeah, I've met a, uh, some of the most talented people in the world are in Nashville. Um, and some of them are in Texas. And some music that comes out of Nashville I absolutely love and some that I'm not a fan of. There's music that comes out of Texas that I absolutely love, and there's some that I'm not a fan of. Um, so the whole, 
you know, line between the two really never, I never paid any attention to it. I just didn't care. This dream that you've had since you were a kid for this life for country music. Let's talk a bit about that. When did it begin? Because I saw a photo on your Instagram. I think you were about two or three with a little toy guitar and your shades on. So was it from back then that you have really had this dream? Yeah, I mean, I can remember being a little kid and just so obsessed with melodies like Amarillo by Morning and Poncho and Lefty and, um, you know, Flies on the Butter by the Judds and, um, you know, uh, so many great classic country songs that I was just obsessed with at a young age um, and was singing the melodies and um, knew all the words to every song I heard. Um, and I remember it being that age and thinking, you know, about being a country music singer. Um, but I didn't really start to kind of come into my own and, you know, start wanting to write songs and play guitar until my older brother, Tyler, really, you know, fell in love with it at a young age. He's six years older than I am. So, right. 15, 16 years old, listening to Towns Van Zant and Guy Clark and Rodney Crowell and a lot of Texas guys like Pat Green and Randy Rogers and Robert O'Keen and, um, James McMurtry. And, um, and so I was exposed to all of them at such a young age and I, really just fell in love with it and it came really natural to me and writing songs came really natural to me and you know I just I wanted to be able to play guitar and sing and write songs like my big brother could and still trying to do it right and now I saw a quote from your big brother that you were about 10 years old and you told him that you didn't think you'd ever be able to play the guitar and sing at the same time and so during that time when you were learning the guitar and learning to sing, talk about that time and sort of where the natural ability was and how hard you had to work to kind of overcome that to be really good at it. You know, it, it really just kind of slowly happened real naturally. Um, I never really, uh, yeah, I just remember not being able to, I would just like strum a chord and sing and strum the next chord and sing and then you know, I mean, a couple of years go by and you're playing all the time and um, would sit around my cousins and stuff. We were always playing guitar, sitting around trying to learn songs and stuff. And, um, you know, just kind of slowly learned how to, you know, let my right hand do its thing and and not think about it. And it just kind of becomes muscle memory. Um, so it's it was never anything that I was like, oh, now I can do it. It just sort of happened over time. With your older brother playing music as well, I saw you post on Instagram a few years ago when you you were having the chance to play City Limits. And you would have had talked about when you were in grade seven and you were listening over the phone to your brother playing that festival. Now, is that a true story? Um, you know, it's not a festival. It was a bar in Stephenville, Texas. Oh, okay. Yeah, where he was going, where he went to college. And there was a bar in that town called City Limits. And, uh, I think he had worked there kind of running stagehand for some bands coming through town. And, um, and, uh, finally they got to, I think I was seventh or eighth grade and, um, you know, he was writing songs and trying to play shows and stuff in college and he'd, they'd gotten a chance to get up there and play a show at city limits. Right. And at the time that seemed like, you know, a big deal. Like that was, that was a big deal. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, I can remember one of his friends called my mom and, um uh he was on stage and she let let us listen over the phone he was playing a song called wagon wheel by a band called oak crow medicine show right and i was a 
time. Um, for, I think the first time I'd ever heard that song and heard of Old Crow Medicine Show uh, and became absolutely obsessed. I mean, we played that song all the time, way before it was ever, you know, like the song that you don't play. Now it's like, if you play that song, they're probably going to kick you out. This was, it was this song had, had not been out very long when they were playing it. And uh, uh, I remember that night, you know, being like, man, I, I just, it just, inspired me so much that's what i wanted to do i wanted to get on stage and play too um and so we ended up um once i moved to austin after high school several years later you know i ended up getting to play city limits quite a few times so it was pretty cool that's awesome and when the writing came in to view and when you started playing gigs was that really a time where you were very focused on this is what my career is going to be? Or did that take sort of after high school to come to that realization? Yeah, no, I'd probably been out of high school for a year. I moved to Austin a few days after I graduated high school. And, um, you know, and I had, I had talked about it through the last couple of years of high school. Um, you know, I'd tell people, oh, I'm going to go sign a major record deal and I'm going to be a songwriter and I'm going to be a country singer. And people would just, you know, it's like people that, really sat around and played with me and listened to my song, like my cousins and brother and stuff like they all really believed that I could do it. Right. Uh, believe that I would. That's another, right. Mathematically, the, the odds are low for anybody. Um, and so, you know, I went and moved to Austin and was enrolled in school there for a year and never went, but like the first day I think, and it was just kind of bumming around, man. Didn't really have much going on in my life and uh, didn't know how to start a band or, book a show or anything like that and just as organically and as naturally as one can do it um started playing little bars for nobody um here and there and met some musicians kind of trying to play those shows and started a little band and um it's uh to, to say we just as organic and as natural of a come up um as as you could probably ever ask for right and now talk about the saxon pub and the importance of that venue for that time when you were just trying to get a foothold on what this music career could look like. Yeah, you know, the Saxon was was the first place to ever give me uh, really like my own place that I could that I could go play for an hour. Um, I'd been there one night watching a friend of mine play um, and uh, I, I had a fake ID. I was only 20 at the time. And um, uh, a guy named David Cotton, who's uh, been in Austin for a long time, books like Stevie Ray Vaughan back in the day, a lot of old bands back in the day and been around a long time. And uh, my friend played that night at the Saxon and David Cotton was there and she introduced me to him and she said, you need to book Parker. And um, a couple of days later, he called me on the phone and um, said, man, I want you to play the Saxon pub tomorrow night, 90 or an hour long acoustic set. Wow. And I really only had about four or five songs. So I called up my buddy, Brady Beal, um, who is actually now my slide guitar player. Right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we were new buddies. He just met in Austin. We were just kids, you know, running around. I called him. I said, man, I need you to song swap this thing with me. I don't even, I don't even have enough songs to play. Uh, and so we did. And we just thought it was the big times, man. It was so cool. There was nobody there. Um, you know, it's on like a Sunday evening, I think, or a Wednesday evening or something like that. Um, you know, they let me play for a little while and then, um, the owner of the bar, his daughter actually found out later on that I was only 20. And so they made me wait till I, I was turning 21 in like four months. And so they made me wait until I was 21 to come back and play. And, 
um, they ended up giving me the slot after Walt Wilkins um, on Wednesday nights. I got to play the hour after him a couple of times. And um, the, really the thing I think that I remember the most about the Saxon is uh, several times I played Sunday night at midnight um, when all the chairs were up on the tables, there was nobody in the bar, but Jody Abels, who her dad owns the place and um, okay. she up the bar and, put the chairs on the table while I played my set. And, uh, you know, I think it's cool for them to, to see how far it's come and how much it's grown. And, um, you know, I certainly think about the Saxon all the time. And, and I think about those gigs and nights that I'm tired and maybe don't think I have it to go on stage. I think about how excited I was to go play that Sunday night at midnight for nobody. Uh, and it's usually enough to get the juices flowing and get out there and put on a show. Right. Now you mentioned Brady Beal, who you met back then. And then Jason Newberry, is he still a band member that you met back in that, in those days? Yeah, he was actually playing for Brady. Uh, I met oh, okay. him on the pub. I'd gone up there one night to watch Brady play his full band show. Brady was trying to do a solo thing at the time and uh, Jason was playing for him and, um, you know, I don't know. I was just being a goofball really that night. I walked in and uh, walked right up on stage while they were loading in and setting up. And I introduced myself to Jason. And a um, short time later, I was playing a lot more shows than Brady. I was, I was, uh, uh, he was selling cars and trying to do a solo thing. And um, I was working for my dad's buddy a little bit, not really, um, kind of just to say I was doing something. And, uh, but I was playing a lot of shows. I really was having a lot of shows booked around Texas. And so Jason kind of ended up, you know, he's told Brady, hey, I'm going to go play for Parker. I just make, you know, I got to make a living, you know, and playing more shows. Um, so he joined my band and um, we toured for about two years, three years like that. And then um, we letting our lead guitar player go and um, called Brady Beal, had a meeting with him one night. And I was like, man, I'd love for you to come be in the band. And he's been with us ever since. So what has it been like to have those two, especially along on pretty much this entire journey? Yeah, it's been, you know, in my keys player, Charlie, I met him at the sax. His first first time I ever met him was on stage when we were playing a show at the sax. And my, uh, my buddy had said, hey, this is a keys player, and he's going to play with you guys. Um, and he's been in the band since that night. Um, oh, okay. But, you know, it's it's uh, it's really cool, man. I mean, it's uh, it's I hadn't thought about that, actually, until he asked about it. But, man, to, to think about, you know, moving to Austin in 2011 – um, trying to you know figure out how to start a band and meet musicians and songwriters and kids that wanted to do what I was wanting to do and chase it on the biggest level um, and you know like the first few guys I met and started playing with um, you know are the guys that are still with me today and we came up you know from playing the little bars in Austin and now we're selling out the biggest venues in the state and across the country so it's it's really a cool story and um, man, I, I don't know why they chose me to stick with there was a lot of days where they wanted to quit. Um, and I'll probably almost did, but they stuck with me and I'm really grateful for that. I love them all very much. Um, and it's, it's really cool. I, you know, I haven't, it's funny you ask, I really haven't considered that in a long time. Um, but they, uh, they've certainly stuck it out with me and it's paying off. That's awesome. And another person who I think has stuck with you is your buddy, Kevin Wood. Kevin K. Wood. Yeah. Okay, Kevin K. Wood. And I think I saw him mention that you've been friends since you were one. Is that correct? We grew up about 100 yards from each other. Oh, wow. So what has he meant for this journey for you? 
Uh, you know, he's been one of my best friends my entire life. Um, and, you know, him and I, there was a point in Austin where he had moved back home to Conroe and I had moved back to home to Conroe for a few months. And, um, man, we just had no direction, no idea where our lives were going. Our early 20s, you know, really just worried about going out and chasing girls most of the time, weren't worried about careers or working or anything. And um, he was the one that I would sit in my hometown with, you know, and say, man, we're going to like, we're going to go do something big one day. And he was from, from day one has been like, you know, just don't quit. Don't quit. Like you got it. You can do it. Don't quit. And uh, man, he was, he was right. And he'll be the first to tell you, he told you so. <laughs> and now talk about a red town view, your debut album that is, it feels like it's sort of lost in the past, but when did that come about as a record that you recorded and put out? Was it just something fun that you were doing at the time to get music out? Yeah, you know, Red Town View was really, it was actually just a four song EP. Um, and the reason that it was because I didn't have enough money to make a full album. Oh, okay. Um, I had met a guy named Corby Schaub at the Saxon Pub one night. Um, he had played for Ryan Bingham and the Dead Horses for a long time, which is my one of my most favorite bands of all time. And, uh, um, you know, met him there. And uh, the same friend that had introduced me to David Cotton, she was cutting some vocals at her house one night. And Corby was over there, you know, cut or producing them for her. And she said, I want you to come over and play for Corby. And, uh, you know, so I went to her house and sat there all night for like three hours. And then finally at the end of the night, he was like, man, we playing some songs. And I just written a song called highway and a song called who's laughing now. Um, and he said, he just started laughing when I played them. And, uh, I thought he thought I was bad. And he said, man, I would love to produce your record. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's, he's one, he's Ryan being with dead horses. Absolutely. That's, you know, that was big time to me. It really was. And, uh, and so, you know, we started talking about cutting a record and um, I really only had um, my dad actually helped me pay for that record. Um, I didn't have any money. And uh, and so he cut I think it was like four grand thousand bucks a song. We cut four songs. And uh, um, and, and and so, you know, he's like, we'll just cut this as an EP you can put it out. And then when you have more money, we'll come back and cut the rest of the album. You can put it all out as a whole album. Right. And uh, and so we cut that fourth song EP, and um, I didn't have any management or publicist or anything like that. I just after we cut, I had a bunch of CDs, and uh, right. I, would, I would pass them out to people when I would go places. And um, you know, like Steamboat Music Fest is a music festival in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and my buddy's parents had taken us there. You ski and snowboard all day and listen to bands all night, and. Uh, so in a lot of bands that I really loved and I would go walk around the lobby of the hotel there and pass that red town view out. And then, you know, just a couple of years, we, or a couple of years ago, we headlined the whole thing. Yeah. Um, kind of a cool story, but that was really what the red town view was. And then, um, you know, I ended up taking out a loan, um, about a year later, year and a half later. Um, I took out a loan with my granddad and co-signed on it to bank in my hometown. And I think I took out, five grand maybe or 10 grand um and uh um went and cut you know the rest of that record and called it the limestone kid and um had a little publicist and a little kind of little promotion behind it and won a songwriter competition and radio station in fort worth started playing the song off of it and um kind of snowballed and it's been uh it's been a wild ride ever since 
it's got to be the best investment you ever made, I'm sure. Oh, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> and so the hard work side of things, you mentioned sort of the couple of months in Austin when you moved there, a couple of years maybe, that you were just kind of floating around. You didn't know how to get this going. But looking back at your history, your grandpa and your dad, very hardworking people that have instilled hard work within you. But when Limestone Kid came out, and this success began coming for you. You're in your early 20s. And so were there times where you lost focus of where you wanted to go just because you were getting lost in the success of it? And, oh, this is cool. Look at me. I'm a rock star. Or were you always focused on, yes, this is cool right now, but this is where I want to be and I have to work hard to get here? Yeah, no, I mean, I always say it, man. I'm still trying to make it. Long, long way to go. Um, I've never felt like a rock star. I've never thought, truly, as honest as I can be, I've never thought anything I did was very impressive. Um, I've never really uh, thought that I was very good. Um, I always kind of thought that I was uh, really lucky to see the success that I've seen um, because I I just think uh, I really am not – very deserving of it talent wise hard work I certainly will say that I am I know I've put the time and the work and done it the hard way um and really really busted my butt to to make things happen um but no man I never I never really thought that uh I was cool or or a rock star or never felt like that um at all um in fact I think um quite the opposite. I think, uh, I'm actually, um, probably could use a lot of practice and a lot of improvement, um, for as far as where I am right now in my career. Um, and I know people hear me say things like that and they think I'm just being humble or looking for compliments. And that's really not the case. I, I don't, I don't need or desire, have any desire for any compliments. Um, I just see that, you know, the people that I've looked up to my whole career and I see their level of talent and how good they really are um, just in a raw setting. And uh, I say, man, I'm not that good. I need to be that good. So um, it's really, uh, it's kind of a crazy mental battle. Um, all right. these people tell you how you are and you really just don't see it. So it's, uh, I work on that all the time. And so what does that mean for releasing music for playing a show like the Houston Rodeo, when you're jumping up there in front of 73,000 fans, are there emotions that you have to get past to tell yourself that you do deserve to be there? Um, you know, I don't know. Um, the, the, the only emotion, um, well, the, the emotions were really high that night. Um, that was kind of my main, my main goal from the time I was a little kid. I'd thought about playing the Houston Rodeo every day for 20 years. Right. Uh, every single day, um, every empty bar I played, uh, every time I climbed back in that 12 passenger white Chevrolet van with five guys um, to go drive seven hours to play the next empty bar. Um, you know, every single little BS, anything that I did uh, for the first time I, when I stepped on that stage, I said it was worth it. Everything was worth it um, and, and worked very hard to get there. Um but you know, it's, it's the only time, usually when we play a big show or whatever, I'm, you know, I'm amped up the first couple songs and I kind of settle in and I'm back and I'm doing my thing. And I couldn't do that at the rodeo. 
I never could gather myself the entire show. Um, you know, this, first of all, the stage is rotating. Uh, oh, okay. Um, it, it's really a, a, I'd never done anything like it. I'd played a lot of really big shows, 20, 25,000 people, but not 73,000 in the stadium of my favorite NFL football team that I grew up idolizing. And it just, I can't explain, Brendan, the feeling I had in my chest when I walked up those little stairs to walk on stage and start the show. I hope every person at least once in their lifetime gets to experience a feeling like that. Cause it was, it was the most, uh, satisfying adrenaline uh that i could ever I, I just can't explain it um everything was just worth it i was like you know all the days i wanted to quit um all the times i wondered if i was good enough all the times i questioned everything um you know all the things that that just absolutely wore my butt out as part of the grind and as part of the process right if you're big star bound it's, it's a it's a long hard ride right everybody knows that um, and it certainly is a long, hard ride and we got a long way to go, but stepping on that stage that night, it just made every single thing worth it. And your family, they have been a big part of this journey for you. What was their feeling within that moment of seeing you along this journey and seeing you do it yourself? Because I really find it awesome that you talk about taking out a loan to record your album and not just relying on your family to help you at that point. And so as they've seen you along this journey, what is their thought, especially at that event? You know, I think my parents probably sleep a lot better at night now. Um, I, I was probably the least promising prospect in my early 20s. Um, you know, it's, uh, I think any parent is proud of their kid when they do something you know, um, but when they've literally watched me miss everything for the last decade, every wedding, every birthday party, uh, every birth of my nieces and nephews, any get together, everything. I was somewhere on the road playing a show. I've missed everything. And they understood that and um, never gave me any problems about that. They fully understood that I was out there. I was very serious about doing this on the big stage. Um, and so to see that for, it's kind of like they went to, you know, um, I wouldn't be able to do it without them. 100% does not happen without each and every one of them. And uh, I mean, they all saw me go from, you know, sitting in the living room playing guitar or sitting up at my grandparents' barn, you know, on the tailgate playing guitar all night or, um, you know, just all the, from the very, very, very early stages of me ever, having anything to do with music and then to see me win an ACM award and have multiple number ones and sell at the Houston rodeo and major tours and selling out arenas. And, um, yeah, I just think they're really proud. And I, and, and I think it's really cool for them to get to experience that with me. Um, it's not every day that someone in your family, you know, gets to do something like this. And, um, man, I just hope they, they, they're, they're proud. I say it all the time. Like it, if I never made another dollar or sold another ticket, as long as they're proud and like, you know, like really, um, really are proud of, of the work that I put in and, and, and said I was going to do something and, and did it. Um, that's, that's enough for me. And on the being proud side, you want them to be proud of you, but for yourself and pride, 
within yourself when you look at this journey, like we talked about off the top. Texas musicians making their way into Nashville isn't a regular thing. It's not an easy thing to do. And so when you look back on this journey now and where you've been able to come to, how proud are you of yourself? Uh, you know, I don't know. It doesn't even cross my mind. Um, you know, celebrate the wins and be really grateful and say thank you and, and really mean those thank yous. Um, really be sincere when you're because I, I, so many people played it such a huge role in, in me getting to do anything at all. Um, but then it's right back to work. Um, we got, I, again, I, I say it again, like a broken record. I, we got a long way to go. Um, and uh, a great start, really a hell of a start, um, but just not even close to where I want to be. So uh, I don't know. I don't ever really think about being proud of myself. <laughs> wow. That's, you should, because what you're doing is very amazing. And so when you, when you look at this career, do you have a pinnacle? Do you have a point that you say, this is where I want to be. And if I get to here, then I've done my job. Or is it just an ever constant flowing, um, you know, list of accomplishments that you want to be able to do within this career? Um. I don't think there is a pinnacle. The rodeo was kind of my pinnacle. That was like the biggest thing that I ever thought I, I would be able to do. And I did it so early on and so quickly um, that now it's really about, um, I, I tell you what, the, the best answer for that question is the country music hall of fame. That is the answer. The country music hall of fame. Well, with the path you're on, I'm sure you're close to getting there. And so the future, you've had an amazing month, uh, a number one song, Houston Rodeo ACM Award. But on the music side, where is that headed right now? Man, I don't know. I'm trying to write this record right now. Uh, most days it's kicking my butt. Um, you know, I, it's, it's funny. I, I, I write these songs and I, and I think they're good, um, but they're not going to change my life. Um, they're not going to get me into the Country Music Hall of Fame. Um, and so I kind of disregard them and I think I need to stop doing that because I think they're better and <clears throat> they're probably better than I give them credit for, but I just expect a lot out of my songwriting. I'm writing songs a long time. I feel like, you know, the best songs I've ever written should be right. I should be writing right now. Um, and, and maybe they are, maybe one day I'll look back and, and, and think, you know, man, I was wrong. Those songs were really good. Um, but I don't know, man, just so far away from, from where I want to go and, and this record, I'm, I really hope, gets me closer to that. And so it's just, I, I really, I really, really put a lot of time and thought and effort into, you know, this next record being what it really needs to be and what my fans deserve. I mean, they've been with me for a long time. Like, man, they need some bangers. Um, so hopefully I'll deliver. And I was talking to Grant Gilbert. I don't know if you know him. He's a newer artist coming out of Texas. And we talked about his new single, having more of a Nashville influence and bringing that Texas influence in, but starting to sort of bleed in that Nashville influence. And now within your music, as you start to sort of move more into the mainstream with all the attention on your music, is that something that you sort of look at and if you want to sort of move that way or if you want to stick with the traditional country that 
you know, you've really known and love throughout your life? I mean, you know, I, I don't think I'll ever put out pop country. Right. I mean, I, um, I'll always write the songs. Um, not, not to say I won't cut an outside song. I like just really good songs and, you know, like a Cowboys is the only song on universal records I've put out that I didn't write. Um, and Stapleton wrote that 10 years ago. Um, so if another one of those comes along, I'd certainly cut it. Um, but you know, I, I'll always write the songs. It'll always be a real band playing on the record. There will be no electronic drum tracks or click tracks or these things that you hear in all these songs nowadays. Um, you know, it, if it's not always going to be great, but it'll always be very real and authentic uh, and very, very honest. Um, and it'll stay that way for the rest of my career. Um, that's, that's really what I, I said at the very beginning. I wanted to, I wanted to make the big time money without ever cutting a goofy song. So, um, so far, I think I've been able to, to keep it on the song thing. Um, and hopefully the, the money thing will follow at some point. That's not really my biggest concern. Um, you know, really the only thing that matters to me is being a respected songwriter. So, um, as long as that is still in play, um, I think it'll be all right. And what is the songwriting process looking like for this next album? I know you've had a chance to co-write with some of the biggest in Nashville, but as you head into this next record, is there a lot of co-writing or a lot of solo writing or how is it moving along? Yeah, you know, I'm co-writing a lot, really just to keep the gears grinding. Um, I come off the road and I'm like, man, I don't want to write. You know, I don't even want to be around music right now. I'm just tired. And so having those co-writes really kind of forced me to just keep the gears grinded and keep that machine oiled. Um, but, you know, really my, my best songs come out when I'm sitting on the back of my bus in the middle of the night playing guitar and just kind of quit giving it and just let it fall out. That's really when... You know, the best songs come out. So hopefully it'll be that way on this one, too. Right. And now you're going to be heading out with Thomas Rhett this summer. What does that mean to be opening for an artist that I assume you look up to as sort of a point where you would like to be in a couple of years? So what does that mean for you? Um, I mean, TR is such a good dude. Um, unbelievable human being. He's had a insanely impressive career um i'm gonna get to sit there every night of this summer and watch him do his thing um and he's gonna let me do my thing in front of his crowd every night in front of 15 20 000 people um you know it's it's just kind of a testament to the kind of human being he is um to allow me to do that but um i don't know man the the, the fact that you know, I have multiple tour buses and an 18 wheeler and going on this major tour. It's just like something that I thought about as a kid, like, you know, it just seems so unattainable. I just thought that, you know, I'm like, golly, dude, how cool would it be to have your face on an 18 wheeler and traveling on your tour buses? And, and, and I'm doing that now. And so, um, to get to go do it with him and, and watch that production and watch that show take place every night, uh, man, I can't think of anything better. That's amazing. Well, I hope you soak it in. I mean, it really is amazing how humble you continue to be, even with all the success that you have seen at a young age. I mean, I can't imagine many people getting to this stage of their career and being as humble as you are. So congratulations on everything you've been able to obtain to this point and 
just good luck in the future with all the all the amazing things that I'm sure are to come. My man, thank you, Brendan. I, I appreciate all the kind words. Thanks for having me on, man. I enjoyed it. Thank you once again so much for listening and thank you to Parker for stopping by and sharing his story. Be sure to check out all of his music, including his latest album, Gold Chain Cowboy, wherever you stream your music. Please also be sure to visit our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes and also sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content and also stay up to date on upcoming guests. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit that subscribe button. You can also, of course, find us on any streaming platform. So if streaming is your thing, just head over to your favorite, search Country Music Made Me and give us a follow there as well. Thanks once again so much for listening and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me. Music